Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. You sound like the voice from. Um, do you remember the Monster Mash? I was the, out there one night. Late one night. My something. Something about a fright. Do 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 mash. Just reminds me of the um, Simpsons. Oh. <laughs> you you <laughs> put the wrong song on, didn't you? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> What's that got to do with Valentine's Day? Well, you know, monsters enjoying each other's company, coming together. You put the wrong song on, didn't you? <laughs> I think, uh, speaking of wrong things, you haven't, you haven't introduced yourself. Who are you? Uh, oh, God, who am I? Uh, Callum, I think. Who are you? Deep question. I already introduced myself. Did you? Oh, well, yeah. you probably did. You were too busy trying to talk over me. <laughs> Every time. Every bloody time. Every bloody time. But I have the control, and oh, I can meanie. make you can make me the go things away. happen. You can erase me like Thanos with a snap. And if you want to you you engage Callum in silencing him, gaslighting him, all these things, um, where Callum. Would they go to find that kind of situation where they could do that to you? Well, they would go to Untitled Film Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, uh, not on Twitter, not on Threads, um, but on, not on X, not on X. Oh gosh, yes. I forgot. No, no one's going to call it really that. Confusing when I keep seeing like on X, so and so said this, and I'm like, it takes my brain a second to be like on X. Oh, it, it does take a moment to catch up. Uh, but we ask questions. We put out, you know, fun stuff. Uh, for this one, actually, we asked a question uh, because 
we're going to be reviewing two James Gunn movies and he's into his needle drops. Um, just asking, what are your favourite needle drops? We didn't get any answers or responses, but Johnny, your favourite needle drop in a movie, what would you say? Mm, yeah, it's a tough one. So I'll give you a second to think. I, I, yeah. I've, I, I've been thinking a lot about the one in Reservoir Dogs with uh, Stuck in the Middle with You, mm. um, just because of the juxtaposition, shocking moments, but a really cutesy song. I think uh, that's a really good one. Hmm. Uh, another one would be Apocalypse Now. <laughs> this is the end. I'm just trying to give I mean, you a little a bit lot, my. There's more a time. lot of you know, Apocalypse Now. Yes. Like, there's, yeah. But um, the opening one, I think, is special. Yeah. This is the end. It doesn't have to be your f- absolute favourite because otherwise mm. we might have to cut out a lot of. Hmm. Mm. I quite like the use of um, Nine Inch Nails in. Um, what's the fucking film called? Uh. Are you talking about the opening credits of um, the Seven? Yeah. Oh no, oh the Seven or Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? No, Seven. Oh okay, yeah. That's, the that's... opening credits of Gun Dragon Tattoo is actually not, is Trent Reznor and, and Cameron um, O. Yes, that's right. Song. That's right. Because um, quite Darren Darren Aronofsky, I was going to say uh, David Finch has used him quite a lot. He in... seems to like him a lot. Likes that old troop. Yeah, there's some. There's actually as well. There's another. Uh, one, do you remember that awful film Wanted? Oh, what with um, well, ironically with Chris Pratt playing a bully in it, but um, mainly yeah. to James McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, with James McAvoy. That the first part of that is um, they, they use a really good Nine Inch Nails song as well. That film is so try hard. Yeah, it really is. Talk about two thousand and eight <laughs> distilled into a movie. The Weavers of Time. Post Zack Snyder, everything has to look gross and bronze, mm. and it's all based around a cool trailer hook. Anyway, we're not anyway, we're not talking today. about Wanted, but we are talking about comic book movies. Uh, of which wanted. Hey, I did my own segue. Just about. Just about. No, but, the segue is just about. It's just about a comic book movie. Just about. Well, I mean, it's based on the comic book, yeah. but not as a superhero. Anyway, um, before we get to that, though, what about <laughs> things that have been happening in the <laughs> that world? Was a this major week? bang. This is, we were just talking about earlier how our podcast, we think, sounds like a professional podcast. And I feel like the first few minutes of the show, maybe there's lots of ums. There's, uh, well, that's where Rob comes into play. Into the microphone. I, I, it's all gone Pete Tongue. This is where Rob pulls out a bottle of whiskey that says, in case of emergencies <laughs> while editing, and does a big. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, this week has been like really riveting week on news. And there's been so many things happening. Um, first thing that I was going to talk about is Tron Aries, which I'm quite excited about. Well, because uh, I am about the only person that quite dug the newish Tron movie. I like it well enough. Um, it's mainly for the Daft Punk soundtrack, but I think I, quite, I do quite like it, actually. Um, it's too long. The ending's not as good as it should be. The guy they got to play the lead isn't good enough. But other than that, I quite like it. And also the CGI for young... Um, oh, young Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it's not right. It's a bit but spooky. Anyway. But anywho, um, Tron Aries was about to go into production on its first day of filming. But something's going on in Hollywood at the minute. What would that be? Uh, There is both a strike for the writers... I've never heard of it. ...and the actors. And they have shut down production and had to lay off 150 people due to the strike. Good Lord. Um, And this is, I suppose, the the crux of it. Um, The... The thing is, with the... And this is where it always comes down to, like, big corporations versus... The The little little guy, yeah. 
the corporations don't give a shit. The corporations just want what they want. It's all a game to them. Like it's just a, it's points on the dollar. Whereas for the the actors' guilds, it's their life, and they don't want to be causing other people from other guilds and other things to be losing their jobs. Well, that's what they've all been saying is that we don't want to be out of work, but this is a necessary fight. Yeah, and it goes back to like the trains in the UK or you know whatever. Like striking, it's, it's really frustrating when you're caught on the wrong side of a strike. But it must be really even more frustrating to not be paid a reasonable wage. And I think, unfortunately, with particularly writing, but acting and writing, um, people haven't been for a while now because of changing models in payment and, and structures and things. And, you know, they are really struggling. So... Come comrade. <laughs> come comrade. Start banging the table in a minute. But anyway, um, so I am very much in support of them. But everyone, can you just get around the table and get your fingers out of your asses? Which apparently is starting to happen now. Starting to happen now. There's, there's some movement months. with the writers, but um, not with the actors yet. It's what the last thing I mm. read. But then I might have some news to talk about Ooh. because at the minute it's fuck all news. <laughs> And Callum, what is your first piece of news? Well, a sad one to begin with. Of course, um, William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection and um, cult films like Cruising and Sorcerer, died uh, last week. Uh, he was an immense talent. He's one of the kind of troupe of uh, 70s filmmakers who the, the reason why they're so celebrated is that no genre was kind of he wasn't a guy that just did this or that or the other. He was just a great director of all genres. He could slip in and out. He did musicals. He did adaptations of plays. Um, he did uh, horror. He did um, gritty uh, street crime dramas. Of course, um, Mark Kermode was not just a great admirer, but a, also a very close friend because all, of all his documentaries he's done about The Exorcist and about The French Connection. And he was talking very uh, eloquent, elo eloquently, unlike me, uh, recently on both his podcast... Uh, the Take, Kermode Mayo's The Take. And also he wrote a, um, a a piece for The Observer, which was very moving. And so I suggest people should read that. It's called My Friend Billy. And um, if you get a chance to check out any of his films, especially some of the more recent ones that are slightly underrated, like Killer Joe or Bug, I recommend I people do really so. I always liked Killer Joe. Yeah, actually. me too. I, it didn't get spoken about much, except in like Matthew... Um, Matthew McConaughey is back the McConaissance but the film doesn't really get spoken about but mm. yeah go check out if there's any available go check out those yeah yeah I did see that actually I I, I leave the obits to you you love an obit I so do. I kind of um, I do a lot <laughs> <laughs> it's like your favourite kind of news every time there's an obituary you're it, in there it's worth talking about these people so that they're remembered mm, if you say so <laughs> and that's my excuse anyway you just love a death. Um, right. Got no comeback for that. <laughs> what is there to come back? Um, my second piece of news is there's a really weird film come out. Um, it's called Gran Turismo. Oh, yeah. So for those of you in the world that remember the video game Gran Turismo, um, they've made a film of it. But they haven't. What they've actually made a film of. So there's a racing driver um, now called Jan Moldenbrook. Moldenbrook, I think his name is. Um, who's a British guy who got, who became um, the kind of first person or the poster child of this scheme that Nissan and 
Sony, I assume, whoever made Gran Turismo, concocted together where they were going to um, find the best players of Gran Turismo in the world and then they were going to put them in real race cars and put them in real races. Uh, and they've made a movie with David Harbour. David Harbour? Is that mm-hmm. his name? I'm, I'm really bad with names. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, they've made a movie with that. And it's really roguely directed by Neil Bloomkamp and it just feels like not a Neil Bloomkamp movie. Um, but there we go. Yeah, no, it, uh, I've heard the reviews have been sort of very mild. They seem to suggest that it's sports biopic straight down the line. Mm, and it does seem that way. Which very much paint by numbers. Which is so unbloomed. Why, why isn't um, Shadow Kopi like chewing some scenery somewhere? He could have played the David. And he'd probably be good in the Orlando Bloom part because the Orlando Bloom is character is supposed to be like a sleazy guy who's kind of put, putting all this together kind of as a scheme. He seems like he'd be a better suited to be a sleazy kind of um, promoter sort of character but mm. anyway it was Orlando Bloom they got yeah he isn't really sleazy no he's just bland just bland Orlando bland anyway um part but the, the, your second part yes of news what, uh, what well, is it the, what um, is it tell me tell me now next month is going to be the Fantasia Film Festival which is one of the big ones for genre cinema horror um fantasy science fiction all that kind of stuff it takes place at the historic Alamo Draft House mm. in, uh, in in Texas, and um, remember the Alamo. Yes, remember the Alamo, and it's it's a big sort of um, it, the closest comparison would be the Curzon here, where it kind of treats indies and and uh, uh, foreign films with the same reverence as it does blockbusters, and it's got a very good re- reputation amongst film fans. And um, the opening film is going to be the remake of The Toxic Avenger, starring Peter Dinklage, which is a um, remake of a trauma film. And for those who don't know, trauma is sort of this sleaze film kind of um, warehouse, like factory almost. Like they get very young, uh, hungry filmmakers all of them like in the Roger Corman mold you want to be quite a cult horror yeah exactly it It gets a cult horror um but it has a factory like uh working Mm -hmm. ethic in the sense that um you get a young filmmaker who wants to make the next Oscar winner well you get him to make the the toxic adventure and make sure it's 90 minutes long make sure there's some tits in it and make sure something explodes and then do whatever you want nine toxic avengers isn't like their biggest franchise it is it's absolutely their biggest franchise but I thought I'd pick this because um of course we're going to be talking about James Gunn James Gunn is one of these directors who cut his teeth making trauma films before making Slither and then after Slither into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. Uh, so I thought it was a good piece. And also it sounds like a fun movie. Peter Dinklage is always good value. And I think that's actually quite a good candidate for a remake, uh, for a horror comedy mm-hmm. sort of remake. And it's going to be the opening night film at the Fantasia Film Festival. Excellent. Fantastic. Well... Speaking of James Gunn, we're Speaking going of to go, Gunn. we've got a James Gunn-tastic episode. Um, we're going to be reviewing his first film for DC and his last film for Marvel. Absolutely. In, not in that order. Probably. Not in that order. So we'll be starting with Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and uh, then we'll be going on to The Suicide Squad, which is the sequel to the maligned film from the... Is uh, it a sequel? Is it a we'll reboot? Be, we'll we'll a... get into that, certainly. <laughs> what is it? What Nobody is it? knows. Nobody it's knows. It's just a thing. <laughs> Which I kind of feel, just very quickly on a slight tangent, is a bit of a metaphor, I think, for what DC are going to try and do, where they're going to, we're going to keep certain threads yeah, from I've the heard past, that, but um, we're going to get rid of quite a few things. Blue we're Beetle apparently is going to be their again. connecting line, but Blue Beetle will be re- referencing characters from the old DC 
films. So who knows? But also, people, everyone's like, oh no, it's basically been put in the bin and they wouldn't pay for like reshoots and things. So yeah, it looks like it's being dumped. Very much so. Anyway, so who wants to take the uh, synopsis for Guardians? Oh, Guardians. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm a creep. I'm a loser. Open Rocket Raccoon walking through a it's no place called Nowhere. Uh, to be really confusing because I keep saying nowhere and it's actually a place that's called nowhere. Um, we shall remember everyone from the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which everyone watched, of course. Um, well, and you'll remember it from the Collectors as well, but it doesn't look like that one, the Collectors, though. It, this is a new set. Um, this is the Collector. What's his name? Yes, that's the, the Benicio. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is Collector, yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, and John Quill's drunk and depressed peter quill peter quill who's john quill i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think there is john quill somewhere anyway um but not in the film not in the guardians films. anyway peter quill is drunk um and all over the show and all of a sudden some golden bastard smashes through a wall and tries to steal a rocket raccoon and nearly kills him and the Guardians have to get back together for one last time to go through space and time to um, find out Rocket's history, his past, and save his gosh darn life. And on the way, they'll meet some horrible bastard called, is it the Creator? Yes. They have some really bland names in Guardians, but anyway, the Creator, who um, thinks that he's basically a god and can create the perfect society. And is maybe not so good at it as he thinks he is. Callum, what did you think? Well, I think that this is going to be an interesting discussion because usually, especially in the last kind of few months, we've been sort of like agreeing a lot. It's lots of uh, 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'll give it a 7 too. 8 out of 10. No, I think I'll give that a 7, you know, very much like that. And I think um, we might actually have slight, I mean, slightly mixed uh, words. Um, because I yeah, like... you're wrong. <laughs> I like this film, uh, but I think I'm going to... I'll front load it with the flaws just because it is a Marvel film and it comes with the same Marvel baggage that all Marvel films, especially at this point, have, is that they're always a war between what Kevin Feige wants and what the director wants. And how successful a Marvel film is depends very much on how much the director wiggles his way out. I think James Gunn has got about at least a third of the film is his, but he does have to juggle all the various pieces, especially with the Avengers fallout. Because, for example, he never wanted to kill off the character of um, Gamora. Gamora. Yes, thank you. I almost forgot that. Um, and um, now she's back, but in a different form. And she doesn't remember her past with the Guardians from the first two films. And the Avengers movies. And so that's something he has to deal with. It's also because it's a large ensemble, all of whom are at different points in their contract. Um, you have some actors who want out. You want, have some actors who are sticking in. So you can tell James Gunn is going, okay, put this character here because they've got to be around for three more films. But this character, they're, on, they're retiring after this film. So placing the, the puzzle pieces all on a different place. And then, you know, like all the Marvel films, the last half an hour to 45 minutes is just rat attack, shoot, 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 boom, 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 explode, explode, explode. It's all that general stuff. And, you know, that's 
boilerplate business as usual Marvel. I think the interesting parts of this film is where James Gunn has managed to wrestle something out of it. What I appreciated, because I was trying to think, because I've seen this twice now, and, um, you know, just a warning, slight box office tangent. Usually, especially recently, Marvel films aren't the box office juggernauts they once were, and they've tended to drop, like Thor dropped in its second weekend 68%, um, The Flash 72%, although that's DC. Um, There was another one that recently, that oh, Ant-Man 3 dropped 72%. So people are... You know, you can get a good opening weekend, but as soon as people see it, they're telling their friends, this is shit. Wait for Disney Plus. Well, it's boring. Or yeah. it's boring. Or the people that, the inbuilt audience who are like, I must see every Marvel in the cinema will see it, and then everyone They'll else waits see it, for Disney and everyone Plus. Else, but this film was dropping very softly in the 30%. So people have been spreading the word, telling their friends, going to see it a second time. And I, I think, also think Guardians just has, Guardians managed to, create a much broader appeal than most a broader of the more, appeal the, the, and it's the got goodwill for its characters but i don't think that alone is enough because the first two guardians films didn't drop like that um so i think in the third of the film that james gunn has managed to wrestle to himself what he's made is a, a great bummer movie and i do like a great bummer movie and i think Audiences are starting to get tired of the constant quipping, the unaffected irony, the constant, uh, you know, smugness. I think what this film manages to do and what actually the Guardians do at their best is that they're films that are basically about trauma and PTSD. All three films are the first one and the second one alike. And this one, you have to conclude a lot of trauma. But the first act, you know, you have to do a lot of trauma before getting to the short. You've got to get a lot through the Shawshank before you get to the redemption. And I think audiences appreciate just how well they handle Peter Quill's alcoholism at the death of Gamora. Um, All the stuff to do with Rocket Raccoon isn't handled in a sweet, cutesy way. It's mean. And when this film wants to be, it's got a mean streak to it. And I think audiences actually appreciate having a film that in the moments when a director actually isn't banging his head against the wall going, oh, Kevin Feige wants me to put this in and this actor doesn't want to do the films anymore, so he's out of his contract. When he gets to wrestle his chunk of the film, he makes a a mean film and quite a brutal film. You can tell that this is a guy who cut his teeth on trauma and then cut his teeth making films like Slither. There's a horror filmmaker in some of these sections, like the opening fights with uh, Adam Warlock, who's the golden bastard, as you refer to him. Um, You know, it's not a cutesy, fun time, punch, 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 save the day. Like, people get hurt and it some of it looks like it hurts like properly hurts in the most you can in a 12a pg-13 rating and i think that people appreciate that there are some sections of this film which isn't just quippy quippy marvel time fun times at the quippy corral although there are those bits too and i must say i appreciated those moments i appreciated it and the villain well i'm not sure necessarily if he's my favorite marvel villain I think he's the one that I actually hated the most. Like, I've, there's been more charismatic villains like um, Jordan, um, Michael B. Jordan in um, Black Panther's a really good one. Very charismatic, cool villain who has a, quite an empathetic backstory. When the thing happens and he starts mocking Rocket and he's saying, Yes, Rocket, I can, you win the crying game. Ah! I was just like, rip his fucking throat out. Rip his fucking throat out. I, I generally have had uh, moments that were quite visceral, although that's all clumped in 
about a third of the film that's um it's not even a third it's like well no the, the, that section but i mean the th- third i mean of the total that james gunn has wrestled to himself to so some of the stuff with peter quill and stuff like that in the sections where he's managed to wrestle the film like my film not yours kevin mine um he's managed to make something that has moments of real hurt and real um kind of good bummer film but yeah so i appreciated those moments and the bits that i didn't like i wasn't so much that i didn't like them it was just all right business as usual 10 hours of fighting and smashing bashy lasers blue boom 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 all that kind of stuff business as usual in marvel land but johnny i think you're going to slightly disagree here so what would what would you think it's a mess it's too long i don't care about most of the storylines in it the rocket and most of the stuff with the creator is the the, are the best bits of it um but i still don't think that they are quite carried out as well as you seem to suggest in my opinion i don't think i didn't i i I think part of it i came to it quite late i I didn't see it till it came on disney plus i missed it in the cinema and everyone was like, oh, my God, I love it. It's so emotional. I cried. And then I saw it and I was like, eh, I just didn't, <laughs> didn't really connect that much. Maybe it's the fact Rocket I connect with a bit. But, like, I don't know, you just whacked a few CGI animals in and then, like, you're meant to cry at these animals. And I'm like, oh, it's just Marvel CGI. I think that's my problem with Marvel. I mean, if you haven't noticed this from the podcasts, I used to quite like Marvel, and I think they did a good job with the first part of the Infinity Saga for the most part. It was a couple of dud films, obviously. But they've always had their flaws. And like you say, just quippy, 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 quippy. Nothing has any long-term thing. And if something has a long-term consequence, it lasts for about two minutes. Blah, blah, blah. Um, And then the, the CGI is appalling, on them like absolutely and it really takes bad cgi really takes me out of a film that's why i'm a practical effects guy overall but bad cgi really fucking takes me out of a film and there's some shitty cgi in this film it, it, and ironically this is at the better end of marvel cgi but it's still shitty at times i, I didn't think the cgi was too bad it, it well if it was in um yeah it's 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 bad it's not bad in the context of marvel it's bad yeah, in sure, the context sure. of cinema yeah um and it just is a mess. The Gamora stuff is terrible. I, you said, oh, they could they handle the, the Peter Quill's kind of alcoholism at the start. Not really. He's like, he's a bit of a drunk. Uh, and then they go, he he realises that he could have helped Rocket maybe more if he wasn't drunk. And then goes, I'm going to stop drinking. And still a bit sad about Gamora, but other than that, it doesn't really do a huge amount. Um, yeah, I just it just doesn't hang together for me. There are you know what the rocket bits are reasonable and they are watchable um but it's by far the weakest of three movies the music thing which obviously is james going back to our needle drop question is james gunn's shtick only one of them worked properly for me in this film i when quite I would... liked the um uh, one with the beastie boys the hallway fight yeah yeah i suppose so maybe two but like the first guardians every single one worked the second guardians most of them worked it wasn't quite as this smooth is the as weakest one. one in terms of the soundtrack which i think it's the weakest of the three films personally you may I'd you may say, think two's weaker uh, but i'd probably put it on par with two um mm, because okay. i think uh two two is probably slightly more coherent but i i never really 
cared all that much about the villain. I even forget his name. Oh, Ego. Um, and you're right, they do have bad names. I mean, he was good. They, really it, they were good in... So on the nose, the creator. The creator, Ego. Ego Drax, Adam Warlock. The, Drax the Destroyer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Ego was good from the fact that he's played by Kurt Russell, mm. but I think that, you know, it's fairly just maniacal. But I thought it was quite interesting of like, that's where his, tra- where Peter Cole's trauma yes. came from and stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I think the, the rocket stuff was by far the best handled stuff in it. And the rocket stuff is good and it's nice to give him a story, but everything else just felt like garnish that was kind of, but, but garnish that was 70% of the film. So it wasn't like, sure. um, yeah, stop hitting the table. <laughs> um, I I do appreciate that. Well, like I said, the the meanness. I I did feel like there's a horror filmmaker in here in some of the sequences. Like there's a nice one where uh, the creator is putting animals into this like test chamber, and because he's trying to create a perfect society where he's kind of filling it with sentient um, humanoid like animals, and he's putting them in this machine, flicks a switch, and they're supposed to turn into this kind of six foot. Um, sentient animals but of course the first few tests don't work and like you know just a bit more blood and that's something that you wouldn't be out of place in uh, one of James Gunn's earlier films and I liked that uh, there were moments where when he like I said earlier when he wanted to get mean he gets mean and I like that some of the there's a bit more crunch in here not just in the rocket stuff that's the stuff that's most talked about but even that that's mean it's not done with like a pretty you know um, pretty uh, sort of uh, animals passing away peacefully and with a tear in their eye although a moment like that comes a bit later it's just boom dead boom dead and I do like that James Gunn appreciates that somewhere in the guy who's been making corporate films for a while there's still um, the guy that made Slither in there somewhere I like that Uh, and in the opening fight with Adam Warlock there's some kind of crunch that there isn't usually in Marvel fights I do appreciate that he tried to inject a little bit more kind of ouchy into um, some of the and gnarly stuff into some of the sequences yeah maybe i'm just trying, i'm going to put it out there i think marvel's dead now i think but i think, I think and uh, if you're if you're going oh well yeah uh, they let james gunn be a little bit a meaner, little bit and that's always and the a little thing. bit crunchier that's always the <laughs> thing with these movies isn't it is that they say to the director okay you have 40 minutes or, or however much and that's mm. all yours and you can it's similar to taika watiti um although they handled it differently that you can you get a real sense that both James and Tyker and several of the other directors are banging yeah, their got, heads. You definitely got that with against um, the wall. Doctor, the new Doctor Strange. Yeah, as Sam well, Raimi like. banging Sam Raimi banging his head against the wall. I think James, uh, sorry, uh, Taika Waititi deals with it by going, "I'm just going to make be completely deconstructionist. I don't care anymore." So I'm, I'm Thor: Love and Thunder. I'm just, just going to take the piss. Whereas in his forty minutes, that's not Marvel world building. It's just him going, fuck it, I don't care. Uh, I get paid a lot to make these. And James is trying to get a little bit of something, but it's it's not it's not huge. The thing that's a bit weird and interesting of Marvel of late is so when they first first started out, they kind of got good jobbing directors like John Favreau, John Favreau and stuff. Yeah, sure. And then they kind of went through a phase and they tried to get a couple of... Um, like auteurs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they were like, like the whole first Ant-Man saga with... Um, Edgar, Wright. Edgar Wright and stuff and they were like oh and they backed off from it and then they hired the Russo brothers who you know in turn were absolutely genius hires but they were TV directors and they were they almost like retreated back and went oh we'll go TV way we, we can't handle these auteurs 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 um, and then they kind of 
decided decided to dip their toe in the water again. And actually, I think Guardians was one of the first ones because it was an unknown franchise, really. Like, not many people like knew the Guardians of the Galaxy. And they obviously weren't sure if it was going to work. And I think they thought, well, we need to do something a bit different with this if it's going to work. And then they had great success with it. And that's when they brought in Tycho to do um, the first of his Thors, mm-hmm. the third Thor. Um, and that's when they brought in um, Sam Raimi and, and stuff like that. So they obviously went through a period and went, ah, oh, we've got these O-Tours. And they kind of let them have a bit of control in the first of those films. Yes. And then all of a sudden they went, oh, we need to get back on course for the Infinity Saga. So they started to pull back on them. And I kind of got it at that point. I was like, okay, they need to try to feed into this big thing that's coming up. But once that was finished, and bearing in mind, I'm still not quite convinced they know where they're going with this. I don't <laughs> think they do at all. <laughs> no, because they started to, they started to have all the stuff with the uh, with what's his name at the end of the Loki films, which now is very much in question because of allegations around him um, about the actor. But. Um, it just doesn't, nothing feels they like, they, it feels like they're stabbing, like maybe multiverse is where we go, or maybe this time thing, or maybe something else, or um, what are we doing? And they'd be better off just going, okay, James Gunn, finish off the, the story that you started with the first and two, and just have it, just have this script, you've got to have two scenes, these two scenes, because we will need to do we those need for to the next this character and you up need or something. To, and you need to not kill off, say, just going to put this out there. I don't think they killed off any of the gardens, but um, we did. You know, we don't. We can't kill off Peter Quill, and you can't kill off this person because they've still got contracts, and we are going to use them again. And other than that, have your fill and and finish it off and make it a real fan movie. You really can. Like, you, if you listen closely to the filming here, bang, bang. Yeah. What's that? Oh, that's James Gunn banging his head against the wall because he's had to trim his character that he really wanted to uh, have Adam Warlock and he set up in the last movie he can't not have him because he set him up but Marvel doesn't want him so he's trimmed him right down to the bone he's literally like two scenes and he's funny when he's on because he's played by uh, Will Poulter very good actor and um you can see that uh, he, he wants to have him. He just can't. It's so shoehorned. Where, where can like, you put him in? Yeah, exactly. It's like so shoehorned. Especially since I think he sets the film up quite well. Like that first fight. Well, is, you think he's going to be like the big bad. Exactly, because and then... that first fight is quite a good sort of, oh, wow. And then after then, it's just him standing in the room making witty quips yes. occasionally. And that's yes. about it. That's about the rest of the film. Yes, it's a waste of Will Poulter. Yeah, it's it really very funny. Is. It's just. I think that's it. I'm disappointed in that. I don't think the Rocket stuff was as good as it... It was It was good. It was at the better end of Marvel stuff of late, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. The Peter Quill stuff didn't work for me. Um, the creator stuff was good, but he, again, he was probably one of the better things in it. But he still everything was fully rounded out. And then everything in between was just... I'm just like... I'm, I quite like Mantis and thing and their... their their jokes and stuff but they're not really well thought out characters and that all felt you did and again like um uh what's Gamora's is it Nebula Nebula, Nebula. Yeah. like Cameron Gillian who's a great director a uh, great actress sorry um again they kind of like set her up to be something and then she didn't really do much and again that's someone else it's almost like they've got too many I, again I'm sure this is a game James Gunn thing I'm sure he wanted these characters to be important Marvel wanted these characters to be important. And, and, even and then they've in, ended up with none of them being and, important. And even in a two and a half hour script, because, you know, 40 of those pages is kind of designated, this is for the big final climax, mm-hmm. punchy, punchy, punch. And this bit 
um, Kevin Feige really wants this bit and et cetera, et cetera. So really he's got about 40 pages or so of his own, 40 to 50 pages of his own that he can let, this is mine, mine. They just need to get rid of Kevin Feige. They do. I think the thing is he was great at keeping it tight for the infinity, uh, up to the end of the infinity saga. And now he's just strangling it. Yeah, he is. He's just taking too much control. They need to take a step back. They need to make only maybe two a year instead of like whacking about almost four a year at the minute. I I think it's frankly a miracle that um this film did as well as it did at the box office and that's mm. only because of like i said there's goodwill for this character oh uh, sorry the, this uh, franchise and also i think the bits i think people resonated with the bits that most people most yeah, people resonated people with the bits see, that uh, james gunn I, got i think people wanted to see these characters having their because that was it was kind of very marketed as see your yeah. favorite characters in their final adventure we'll go out into the great beyond or something like that yeah, the exactly line. so i understand why i think there's a couple more of those coming up but once they've come out i think because let's be honest, none of the new ones have really landed. What none of the I new characters? I think this will be the last time, box office wise. Again, sorry, boring. Uh, is that um, this will be the last time, at least for a long while, where a comic book movie has thirty something percent drops in its second, third, fourth, fifth weekend? Yeah. I think it's going to be sixties. Did it do a billion? It didn't, but it got to eight hundred and fifty, which um, is. I can't see. Maybe Spider-Man. Other than that, so other I can't than really Spider-Man, see. I mean, Ant-Man did four hundred and fifty. Um, yeah. The Flash, not even four hundred. Thor: Love and Thunder got to seven hundred, which is maybe the first. You know, maybe when the first proper couple of James Gunn films start coming out of DC, they might do well. But again, I don't see them break. I can't. I just don't see any. I, I can't see any superhero movies that look like they're going to break the billion barrier. Not for a while. I think that time I think is. They are dead. I think that time is over. Mm. Anyway, on that bombshell, we will go to an advertisement break. And we're back. Um, Can you edit his line out, please, Rob? No, please leave me in. Tarvi much. Um, So, yeah. Um, On to the Suicide Squad, not to be confused with With Suicide Suicide Squad. Squad. So, yes, so Suicide Squad came out in 2016, and boy, it got kicked around town. It was not liked. It was a pile of shit uh, it was uh, directed i believe by one of the best trailers of all time david um iod no. yeah uh, ayers i think ayers, yeah, yeah. Right. and not, uh, not richard iowadi no not richard iowadi and this film came out in 2021 um because of covid it got a simultaneous um cinema and home video release and it's sort of a quasi sequel to the suicide squad because it's using some of the same characters but it's sort of uh resetting up the whole thing so these um are the baddies of the dc universe but they're not like the top tier baddies these are kind of kind of the joke baddies these are the baddies that people you know you can batman can punch him and throw him in jail he's not someone you're gonna worry about and in this prison in louisiana i think it's called blackwater the person who runs the prison uh, amanda waller is says that to these crims with life sentences you can go out on this very dangerous mission for me, Black Ops mission. You're probably going to die. Most likely you're going to die. And if you run during the mission, I'll de- detonate an explosion in your neck and or blow your head up. But if you succeed, shaves 10 years off your sentence. So for these lifelong crims superheroes who have no chance of getting out, the supervillain, sorry, they go, yeah, okay, let's do it. And um, they get sent on a Black Ops mission to a fictional South American country where they have to blow up something or destroy the Operation um, Operation Starfish. 
and you got several oh you got a few returning characters like you have margot robbie playing harley quinn who is the one breakout that properly breakout thing from that early dc universe and one thing that people liked about suicide squad not the suicide squad and the team is led by idris elba's character Bloodsport, who's an assassin and you have several other very entertaining colorful characters who straddle the line between outright villainy but also possibly anti-hero at the end maybe they gain a conscience so johnny what did you think of the suicide squad i quite like it <laughs> yeah i so just to preface this the first suicide squad i hated i think it's the only way to describe it it felt like such a um it felt like a film where it'd be meddled with by so many people that even if the director had an original vision at some point, which at points is doubtful, there was nothing of it left. Obviously, Guardians had just come out at the time, which is ironic that they got James Gunn to do the new, the, the, the Suicide Squad. Um, and they'd obviously gone, oh, people like pop songs. Let's just re-edit this whole movie with like obnoxious pop songs everywhere. Um, and then they basically had no real ending. It was a pile of shit. So come around the Suicide Squad and I'm like, hmm, is this going to be good? Is it going to be bad? But actually, it works really well. The new kind of... They kind of got rid of the most boring characters. Um, there was Some of the characters just really had very little to do um, and replaced them with more interesting characters. There's a brilliant kind of fake out at the start of the film, which is really good fun. Um, it looks a lot better. There's a lot more practical effects and a lot less bad CGI until you get to the kind of kaiju-esque ending. But I'd argue that it actually looks pretty good. I thought that the kaiju had it a... doesn't look terrible. ...had a, a good squishiness to it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but other than that, it's quite practical. Like, this feels like real physical sets. Lots and of like squibs that. and things. And squibs and stuff. Um... I'd like Joel Killerman in the first one. He was one of the other two, one of the about two or three things I liked about it. And he's back in a kind of similar role, which was quite interesting. Harley Quinn's was, is great fun. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, there's not a lot that I didn't like about it. Is it perfect? No. I think there's maybe some pacing issues at certain times. Um, I think maybe it's not quite as funny as it thinks it is at times. And, uh, yeah, it's maybe not like, oh my god, um, how with laughter, or oh my god, this action is amazing at all times. But I, overall, I really like it. How about you? I think uh, you pointed out something that um, it does have a scrappiness to it, mm. which sometimes works against it. But I think most sometimes of the time it works in its favour. Like, but I think a lot of the time squad. it gives it a sort of punk rock energy because no, yeah. I had a similar experience to you with Guardians Three, where people like said, oh my god, James Gunn has saved. The Suicide Squad, and I went in going, oh, better be a 10 out of 10 classic. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's really good. And it took me two or three views. I'm just going to say, I did not think Suicide uh, think Thingy 3 was... It's no, 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 I, I know, but just um, went in with higher expectations because people had been reviewing it quite highly because the first film was reviewed so poorly and was so bad. Mm. Um, but I think after two or three views, I learned to appreciate that sort of punk rock energy. And I think um, what James Gunn gets right that the first film, at least in the cut that we saw, 
because um, it's you know possible that David Ayers at one point tried to put this in, is that the Suicide Squad has always been a satire. It, you know, it's, it's, since its origin, it's about this um, capitalist, this, mm-hmm. um, you know, Amanda this, Waller. this Amanda Wallow character who meddles in, in the lives of criminals who have no other choice and puts them on black ops missions. It's both satire Just for... Just like the Russian government. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a satire for both how, um, you know prisoners are treated like Mm -hmm. you know sewing wallets and you know doing kind of unpaid labor in prisons but also for uh, american imperialism just sticking a bunch of american thugs out into some south american country country and say go kill that thing and you know they all they know is killing these are not good people Mm. they're the bad they're the supervillains even the crap supervillains like you have one called polka dot man and the joke is what does he do throw polka dots at people he does throw polka dots at people. He has exploding polka dots. I mean, crap villains that they are, these people are, you know, unhinged. They've got a screw loose. And I think the danger there is that you can make it a soapbox or a polemic, getting out the soapbox and going, do, do you get that this is a satire? But he also gets that you've got to kind of hide that like robocop and things like that i buy that for a dollar back in the day used to do is if you put enough bloodshed swearing and scrappy humor into a film you can hide any sort of satire and people would just go along with it Mm. and i think that's what this gets right is that it it uh fronts its scrappy charm it's it fronts its sometimes unlikable sometimes likable characters and also it's not very sentimental so in moments because james gunn sometimes has this problem because he's quite a a sophomoric humor but he's a very intelligent man Mm. um sometimes has this problem where he'll have characters hugging and learning and crying and laughing and then they'll go tear apart people like a one of the characters is like a shark god you know they're ripping people in half he does it very well by fronting the fact that well these aren't good people so even if they're learning a lesson in this regard they're only learning a lesson in this instance in this tiny little in this context, tiny little context yeah, yeah. they still w- had no problem murdering people sometimes for fun because these are bad guys even though they do something heroic towards the end they're still bad guys and this it, the difference between this and guardians 3 is where you know do you hear that what's that banging sound is that james gunn banging his head against the wall because he can't get a film he actually wants to make this is a film where it seems like it's 90 percent undiluted gun mm-hmm. except for like the odd thing here and there like this character needs to survive and that character um kill off that character all you like but generally speaking this is a film he wants to make and it's no um uh, it, it it's completely reasonable why he, after work finishing his contract with Marvel to finish the Marvel, uh, the uh, Guardians films, he then went over to become the guy who's now running DC. Because yeah, it's you like, can imagine they let him do whatever I want. You can imagine he went in and was like, oh, "I actually got to make the film I want to." Yes. and that is the thing. Like with DC's stuff, especially once they kind of cast aside the Zack Snyder side of things. They did seem to give directors a bit more kind of control in making the film that they wanted to make. And sometimes that's worked out really well. Shazam and uh, and uh, I really liked uh, Birds of Prey. And, you know, there's quite a few out there that feel a bit, they do feel a bit more scrappy than that. Than the, that doesn't feel like an accountant's been sitting there going, you have to have this scene and you have to have this. And this has got to be for this quadrant and this has got to be for this quadrant and da, 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 da. And they, they seem like a bit more true to life. 
and then you've got a few of the flashes and things where it's gone horribly, horribly wrong. But at least they've kind of felt like they've given it a stab. Whereas Marvel, basically all of them feel like the Flash now because all of the films don't work. And that's where they've given James Gunn enough rope to hang himself. And for the most part, he hasn't. You know, for the most part, it works really well. It feels a bit fun and scrappy. It feels a bit silly. It feels a bit fresh, dare I say, at times for a superhero movie. Um, but it still has all the things you want from a superhero movie in it. So it doesn't really go too far astray. And I think the thing with James Gunn is, like, the first Guardians, he was, he was seemed to be given a lot more rope than he is in the later ones. And he's... He, he gets this stuff. He gets when to be a bit more sophomoric. He gets when to be a bit feely. He gets when to do a visual joke, when to do a pun, when to... And he kind of gets the balance about right. I'm not saying he's a perfect director, but he seems to get it about right. And... Marvel seem to have pulled that away from him with Guardians 3, in my opinion. So, and, and he's a very intelligent man. So even yeah. if he does, uh, he's not above making a few knob gags, like actually quite a few knob gags in, uh, in <laughs> Suicide Squad. But I've got no problem. I grew up on Bottom and Rick Mail, so knob gags all the way, baby. Um, but he's also very cine literate. Mm -hmm. um, so for this film, uh, it, it's its staple is things like those old war movies where you'd get a bunch of thugs yeah, out with yeah. guns but hey they're killing nazis so you know it's they're fine. on our side um so like the dirty dozen like the opening 15 minutes you said there's a great fake out and it spends the whole first 15 minutes minor spoiler but it, it's only past the first 15 minutes um setting up this whole different team without idris elba um who's the leader of the kind of team of characters that we actually follow this whole different team like uh, uh this is your <laughs> brothers and sisters for the next uh, however many weeks uh, we're gonna you know and there's they do this whole thing and then instantly murders all of them in a gloriously gooey you know <laughs> very sort of old-fashioned war movie you know lots of blood squibs and he's having fun because he scores the opening uh, of course he's uh, got a great choice of soundtrack uh the opening song is uh people who died by jim carroll the jim carroll band's a really great punk song and he, he so it's the dirty dozen meets the dead kennedys you know mm -hmm. it, it, and that's sort of the theme of the whole thing going forward it's it's a guy who knows his cinema knows his music to make a film that's both scrappy sophomoric um gooey and lots of oozy things but happening it also feels but like it's got a bit of fun flair about it. like there's some great like um some great zooms and some yes. great whips and some great it's it very good photography yeah it does very kinetic whereas which again you don't often get from superhero movies other than like spider-verse and things like that like most superhero movies like plonk the camera down there's going to be a lot of action it'll be very complicated for the poor editors to do all the cgi <laughs> if you're moving the camera around too much or it's shaky cam and you can't see what's going on there's no in between um whereas this it felt it again it felt like it felt a lot more indie. It felt a lot more scrappy. And it's nice to have uh, Peter Capaldi in a big blockbuster yeah, playing it. a baddie. And he was good fun as well, isn't it? He has one of the best lines where uh, there's a um, one of the anti-heroes is called Ratcatcher 2 who can control rats. And, you know, they're taking him somewhere because he's an evil genius. And uh, she he's taunting her and he says something. Uh, she says something like, would you like a, a hundred angry rodents crawling up your ass? Oh, I think the answer I give you, my dear, won't be the one you want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that is the kind of James Gunn humour I'm here for. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on that, I think that is time probably to end our Wraps show. Wraps are all up. 
So, Callum, what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy 3? I think that when James Gunn was allowed to make something good, he pulled it off. And I think it's obvious to me why it seemed to click with people. I like the mean stuff. I like the sort of crunchier stuff. But it is hidden around you know, business as usual in Marvel land. So six out of ten. So I liked it, but I'm not going to pretend like it's any classic or anything. I was... I mean, I'm between two scores. One, I'm going for the, the nicer of the two scores. Okay. And I'm going for the nicer of the two scores because I the Rocket stuff I do quite like. I did really like the opening scene with and I was well, with the uh, with Creep and I was like... Here we go. I did like the um, the creator and I did like some of the, the joking stuff around with the Guardians. And I liked the, the two scenes that Adam Warlock, or Adam Warlock got as well. Basically, I like the James Gunn stuff. Yes, yes, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it a five. Oh, okay. Um, I, 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 thought you were, I thought you were going four. for a four. Yeah. I was very close to four. That was my unkind score. Um, so I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to be generous, but it's, it's close. It's, it's, it's only a scrape five. Um, and Callum, what did you think of... The Suicide Squad. Yeah. Definite articles here, bitch. Um... It's scrappy, it's funny, it's very charming. It reminds me of the kinds of movies I watched um, growing up, like Robocop and stuff, but with a touch of um, kind of Clint Eastwood's let's go kill the Nazis, use any means necessary, lads, sort of movie. It's cine-literate, it has a good punk rock ethos um, in its satire. It's not afraid to punch up at some kind of real-life baddies while also sticking in uh, some gooey, nice, crunchy, lovely... This is, a, this is the, from the, you know, the, it, on the poster it should say, from the guy that made Slither rather than from the guy that made Guardians of the Galaxy. 8 out of 10, quite a comfortable 8. Um, I, again, really like the, the scrappiness, the silliness. I liked how it was done. I think as if compared to what is going on with most um, superhero movies at the minute, it felt very fresh. It kind of gives me a bit of excitement for what is going to go on to the rest of the, the DC universe. And I'm also quite excited. I, I was also quite happy with the whole... Um, uh, the whole... What's the word? Like the, the, the piece, we didn't actually talk about John Cena and Peacemaker. At no, all. no, we didn't. Um, but they did a spin-off show with that as well, which is very. I think James Gunn had written all of it and was very heavily. He directed James, all of it. I think he did as well. Yeah, um, and that's excellent. So it's given me quite a lot of hope for the universe. So I'm going to give it a very comfortable eight as well. I did toy with a nine, but I thought maybe that's a bit too much. But yeah, yeah I, did almost, I kind eight. of did as well. But yeah, an eight is where we live. So a nice happy eight, not even like a scrape eight. So yeah, that's where we are. So he's kind of like a five and a half. For I think Guardians that's probably 3. a reasonable score for it. You know? And then a very, very happy eight for, yes. uh, for The Suicide yeah. Squad. The- if you haven't seen that yet, go out and see it. So once again, everybody, thanks for listening. Don't forget to go onto our Instagram and our Facebook and follow us, like us, answer questions. And we will speak to you again soon. See you later. Bye. Bye. Cause I'm a creep, I'm a loser. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.